So the big question is this, how do veterinarians like you, who live demanding lives, who never seem to have enough time, able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors, and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hey, Smarter Vets. Welcome back to another episode of the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast. It's great to have you here again. And if you are one of our active listeners, thank you for being one of them. I'm one of the owners and founders of Florida Veterinary Advisors. Uh, we're a national financial planning firm that works and specializes within the veterinary community. And, and before I bring on the guest that we have today, I, I want to make mention, if you've not checked out a lot of our other no-cost resources on our website, make sure to go look at them. Uh, one of them in particular is the five steps to financial balance. It's a, a five-part course that we've created. It's about 20 minutes a piece each video, and uh, it really walks through the steps that you should be taking in your financial life so then you can be able to get the most control and be able to be more confident in your decision-making that you're having in your finances. So a uh, completely complimentary resource to you that's available. Go right through our website. Uh, you'll find it when you go to resources and go to courses. It's right there in the dropdown, or you can check out the description of our podcast. Without any further ado, I want to bring on our, our guest today. Uh, she is the founder and CEO of The Vet Recruiter, which is a, an executive search and recruitment firm that specializes in finding top talent organizations across the animal health industry and the veterinary profession. I think she's been doing it for quite a long time and uh, she's gotten very, very good at doing it. And I, I want to bring on the show today, Stacy Purcell. Thanks for coming and joining me today. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for inviting me on your show. And I'm very happy to be here with you today. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure this is a very interesting topic for a lot of people. And I, before we jump in here, uh, I'm just more genuinely curious too. Uh, could you talk about how the birth of the VEC recruiter came around? And is this something you've been doing your entire career or is it, did you have a transition at some point? Yes. Well, I have been doing it the majority of my career, not my entire career. So I have a degree from Oklahoma State University in broadcast journalism. And I went to school because I thought I would be an investigative reporter. I love to write. I love to research. I was going into the field of broadcast journalism. Interestingly enough, when I was at Oklahoma State, OSU was doing a search to find a new president for this school and they hired an executive search firm to search for the president for OSU. And since I worked for the newspaper there at OSU as a journalist, the editor sent me to interview the search committee. So I interviewed the dean that was heading up the search committee to find a new president. I interviewed him that made the front page of the OSU newspaper at the time. I got out of school. I worked in an advertising agency. I worked in a, for a Fortune 500 company called the Williams Company, and I worked in their communications division called Vivix. And then my sister-in-law got into executive search back in the 90s. She was placing executives mostly in the, the IT and in the telecom industry. I got into executive search, and it's been uh, 25 years. I just started year 26. In August of this year. So you definitely know a thing or two about when it comes to finding and placing people within businesses, <laughs> to say the least. Yes. So back in the 90s, like I said, I got into executive search and I was handling executive search for Fortune 500 companies, mostly in the packaged goods space. And one of my clients was a pet food manufacturer and they asked me to find an executive to lead their pet specialty business. I filled that position. There were other candidates on the short list for that search. Some of those people started hiring me to fill key positions within their organizations, all in the pet space. 
And then I connected with somebody in the HR department at a major pet retailer who happened to be a veterinarian. And he hired me to find hundreds of veterinarians for at the time was PetSmart Veterinary Services. Today, the company is known as Banfield, but one search led to another and 25 years going on 26 years, I'm still here. The vet recruiter was birthed in 2004. Uh, I started a, um, a veterinary and animal health and pet recruiting division inside a much larger global organization. And then in 2004, I bought, I bought out the business that I had started and uh, began the vet recruiter. That's really cool. That's actually a very interesting story too, because I know Banfield has transitioned. There's been a lot of changes over time and you've been working in the industry when they weren't even Banfield at the time, which is pretty neat, just thinking about that. Well, there were two companies. There it was PetSmart Veterinary Services, which was PetSmart. There was another company called VetSmart, and those two companies merged and became Banfield. And interestingly enough, you know, Banfield has recently started to put some of their clinics as freestanding. So PetSmart has started up PetSmart Veterinary Services again, and they're starting to, you know, do do something with that name again. So that that's interesting. It's it's very fascinating to see how a lot of these different uh, organizations are bringing like in, internal pet medicine and everything. I think I've seen from like some of the other bigger box stores are trying to pull it in there too. And I'd be really curious to see where the industry goes over the next, you know, next few years. And, you know, speaking, speaking on that note of around finding talent and practices shifting and with the whole industry, it seems like we've been going through like a massive like overhaul. It's been kind of flipped on its head lately. When you look at the current environment of where we're at when it comes to finding personnel and you're looking for veterinarians or other team people uh, to join a veterinary practice, well, how would you currently say that the, the current state that we're in, like, what would you, how would you define that? Well, the, the good news is that the animal health industry and the vet profession is, is doing very well. The industry has grown. Um, it's more people coming into the vet clinics. The bad news is that there's a shortage of talent. There's a shortage of talent, um, veterinarians and other staff, you know, veterinary technicians. So what the data is showing, Tom, is that by the year 2030, we're going to be 15,000 veterinarians short. And there's going to be even more openings for veterinary technicians. So we're in a we're in a space where uh, the industry is is doing well. It's growing, but there's not enough people um, to work in the the profession right now. And do you have any idea? I'm just more of just wondering here too. Is there any particular reason why the veterinary industry is growing so much faster than the amount of actual veterinarians that are out there? Yeah, the, the it's it's a question I think a lot about, and I've attended um, you know many conferences. I was just in uh, Portland, Oregon, a couple weeks ago, where I attended the Veterinary Innovation Summit, the Banfield Summit, and then Vet Partners, of which you and I are both members of. And this was the hot topic at across all three of the summits. I mean, this is the topic that almost everybody is is talking about, and everybody's asking the question, you know, why are there not enough people to go around? And, you know, many industries right now are experiencing a, a staffing shortage. It's It's been a issue for a long time, you know, in the human medicine space. They've just gotten used to 
the shortage of doctors and nurses and, you know, everyone else. It's just like the accepted reality. And I think that is, is starting, it's going to be the, the situation in the vet space. I think we're going to be facing the shortages for many years to come. There's a lot of smart people that are, you know, working on solutions for this, but there's no immediate solution to this. You know, it's going to be a long-term problem that we're just going to have to, to deal with. But yes, like I said, by the year 2030, we're going to be short, you know, at least 15,000. And, uh, veterinarians and you know we're not educating enough uh, veterinarians in a year to keep up with the um, the demand for veterinarians it's like an insane number just thinking about 15,000 veterinarians going to be short and and I kept on thinking it was you know partly contributed to the fact that like you know a lot of these organizations out there buying up several practices and now they're trying to grow them more and then of course like the more that they try to grow them from a business model standpoint now they need more people working at the practice but it seems just, it's fascinating just to think that there's been such a big uptick in people with animals and people that are um, just needing to bring them in for care and I keep wondering myself I'm like hey is it is it been partly too because it's the the entry for care now for a lot of people that were having having issues before being able to pay for stuff now because of things like care credit and payment plans and all these other things like now people are starting to bring them in and they're able to reach a different audience of people that maybe wasn't able to participate before which it's interesting all the different variables <laughs> that can exist in this one of the things that's happened is in my parents generation they would uh, you know, they would get married, they would buy a house, they would have kids. And then after all of that, you know, then they would adopt a pet. And so now people are getting pets earlier. You hear about, you know, college students that have, you know, pets in their dorm rooms, or their apartments at college. So they're, you know, they're getting pets before they're um, getting married or buying houses or having children. And they're not just, you know, adopting one pet, they're adopting uh, two or three pets. And so the, um, you know, the pet population continues to increase. There's more pets now than, uh, than ever before. And those pets need veterinary services. And the number of veterinarians who retire every year in the number of veterinarians that graduate from school every year, you know, so the number of, of vets that graduate school and the ones that are retiring, it's almost like they're breaking even, but the pet population continues to grow. And so in order to keep up with the growth, you've got to educate more veterinarians. When I was at the in Portland at the Banfield Summit a couple of weeks ago, there was somebody who worked for the, uh, the veterinary school in Washington State. She was telling me they get about 2,000 applicants a year uh, for that vet school, and they select or 200. Um, so they're, they're turning away, you know, hundreds of, of people that, that want to become a veterinarian. My question to her, I was wondering is, you know, where are all those people going that, that wanted to be a veterinarian and are not getting accepted in, into the school because there's not enough seats for them? You know, are they going into the human medical field? Are they going into a completely different field? You know, how, how can we get some of those people, you know, into the veterinary profession, even if they, you know, can't go to vet school or their other you know, job opportunities for them that we could, you know, bring them into the profession because obviously they wanted to work in this profession because they applied to veterinary school. That's actually a very interesting thought. And I, I keep wondering that myself, and I'm sure this, this topic is something that is definitely heavily being addressed and wondering from because of the, the industry, the way it is, and, you know, with the shortage of veterinarians expected over the next eight or so years, 
how are you helping a lot of the practices that are out there being able to find talent? Like, where are you injecting yourself and being able to assist through this process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about relationships. So, um, you know, like we've talked about, there are a large number of open positions and, you know, what what can employers do to hire? I mean, that's a question all the employers are asking right now is, you know, what where can I find uh, talent? How do we help find talent? Well, in order to hire, you have to be an employer of choice and not everybody is an employer of choice. And so, you know, unfortunately or fortunately for the candidate, you know, for the, for veterinarians, there's never been a better time to be a veterinarian for the employers. You know, it's very tough right now. And some employers are, you know, really disappointed. I had one ask me the other day, he said, you know, we're really not in the driver's seat anymore. Are we? He said, it's really hard to to think about that, that, you know, we, we cannot be very selective. We don't have a large candidate pool of people to select from, you know, we can't be very selective. We're just, you know, we just need to get these positions filled and there's not a lot of options. And, you know, what he meant by that is more jobs um, open than there are people to fill them. Uh, The veterinarians, the candidates are in the drivers. They have many choices, many options and opportunities, and they can go, you know, wherever the best offer, the best opportunity is. The employer side, your opportunity has to be attractive. You know, what do I do as a recruiter? Um, You know, think of me as an extension of uh, of that employer that, that practices um, HR department. You know, the, the days of posting a job ad, we call it posting and praying, but the days of posting a job ad and, you know, hoping or praying that somebody good is going to respond, I mean, those days are over. And so now you have to be very proactive. Job post, I think, is is almost uh, reactive, but, you know, you have to start looking for your next um, person, you know, well before you have an opening. So, you know, recruiting firms, our jobs are to build a talent pipeline. So we have uh, pipelines of talent built long before our clients come to us and and have a hiring need. And so being in the business for 25 years, we have, you know, talent pipelines and, you know, across the United States and Canada. So when one of our clients in a particular city needs somebody, there's a good chance that there's already somebody in our database that we've already talked with interviewed um, or are aware of. So our job is to proactively uh, promote the opportunity to qualified candidates. And these people are not actively looking. They're not in a job search. They're not on the internet searching for jobs and you know applying for positions out there. Uh, they don't need to do that because they already have a good job and they're gainfully employed. They're highly regarded by their current employers. So, um, you know, recruiters have to reach out to those individuals and, you know, make them aware that these are passive job seekers. These are people that they have a good job and they say, you know, I would like to know about opportunities that, that come available, especially if there's something out there that's, you know, better than my current uh, position. And, you know, my job as a recruiter is to bring those opportunities um, to those candidates and, and make them aware because let's face it, no matter, you know, how happy somebody is it a job if something better came along you know why wouldn't they want to hear about it and have the opportunity to potentially uh, consider it so the placements that we make most often are with somebody that you know wasn't a good job Um, you know maybe they were just kind of so so happy in the job it didn't really have any you know compelling reason to look around but something significantly you know better comes along um, 
you know, like a brand new practice with, you know, all the latest and greatest technology and either paying competitively and they're offering more vacation and more CE and, you know, more bells and whistles, you know, why would somebody not want to, you know, put themselves out there and at least go talk to that employer. So that that's what my job is, is, is to connect those two people together when an employer is hiring and somebody's open to hearing about opportunities, approaching them and bringing those two people together. And, and when you talk about, because I find it very interesting, like you talk about like an employer of choice and um, especially being in our world, because we always talk about recruiting, rewarding, retaining, and really defining like what kind of programs and things that you're establishing within your within your practice, within your business to really, how do you make yourself competitive to others? How do you really be able to motivate and engage the team and the people that really are critical to the practice? Like, you know, I would, I would imagine that veterinarians at the moment are becoming like, because the, there's such a squeeze on the talent pool that's out there. It's like pretty much most people are coming from one practice to another. It's not like, you know, Hey, there's all these people just standing on the sideline looking for a job. They're pretty much already in a job. Uh, so it's like, you know, when you talk about becoming an employer of choice, do you see that the people that then tend to shift from one place to another, because I would imagine sometimes it could be compensation, it could be the new facility, uh, but you just, do you ever see that culture is a big thing in there where they just like it, they feel like it's a very toxic environment that they're in now? Yes, I would say that culture is the number one thing that's going to make somebody an employer of choice. And, you know, and it starts with your online presence. So uh, the first thing that a I don't want to call them a job seeker because, you know, we're talking about passive, uh, passive candidates that already have a job. So we'll call them, you know, talent or candidates. You know, if they're approached about an opportunity within your organization, your veterinary practice, the first thing they're going to do is look at your online presence. They're going to go to your website. Uh, they're going to see what information on your website they can learn about you. They're going to look at your staff. They're going to look at pictures of your hospital. They're going to, you know, see what kind of medicine you practice, what kind of equipment you have in there. If there's not a lot of information on the website or you don't have a website or that website looks like it hasn't been dated in a long time, you know, they're going to think that you're not, you know, up with, um, technology or the modern times, the next thing they're going to do is they're going to look at your online reviews, you know, your, your Google reviews, for example, and you have a, you know, one star review, um, you know, they're not going to think you're the employer of choice. If you have a, you know, 4.5 or five star review, that's going to be, you know, more appealing. The next thing, you know, so they're looking, they're looking at those things before they even make the decision about whether they want to interact with you or not. Um, the second thing is if they decide that they do want to move forward and, and interact with you, they're going to be noticing, you know, how you treat them, how people are treated in your organization, you know, as they're walking into your organization, you know, how they're greeted, how people treat one another, are, are they happy working there, you know, how are the clients, I mean, just how people interact, that's, you know, they're, they're going to be... Um, making a decision about your culture. So that's another important thing. The other thing is they're going to be, you know, looking into your technology. If, if, if you're a practice that is still on um, paper medical records, especially these younger doctors, um, that's not going to be very appealing to them. You know, they're going to want to come out and have electronic medical records. They're going to want to have the latest um, technology. If your practice you know, hasn't been updated since the 1970s, you know, that's not going to be very attractive for most people. Um, so all of those things play into someone's decision if they're 
wanting to move forward or That's, not. No, these are actually some really incredible thoughts that you're throwing in here. And uh, I would be very fascinated, you know, especially if, if anyone who is listening to this right now and you are having a, a, a talent struggle and you feel like you're not able to find the right people and bring them to your organization. Uh, you know, of course, we're always here to help assist with part of that conversation. But at the same time, you know, Stacy has some really incredible things that she could probably take a look at what you're doing to see what she can help you assist along the way to like, how do you make this better for your your candidates that are coming here, which I'll make sure that her, her information is provided in, in the description of the podcast so you can take a look. And, you know, on, on a complete unrelated note to recruiting and vet med and everything else, um, I always like to wrap up things with a, a just a random question at the end of the podcast. And if you were stuck on an island for the rest of your life and you had a choice of one food, just, just one food, what would that food be? <laughs> uh, I'm embarrassed to say it, but it would be, uh, you know, chips and salsa. So my favorite, okay. uh, you know, my husband, my husband jokes with me, I could probably eat, you know, Mexican food three or four nights a week, almost any time. Where do you want to eat? I always suggest a, you know, Mexican <laughs> restaurant and, uh, you know, chips and salsa or, you know, guacamole and queso. Those are, I think I could live on those things. That's awesome. I, I'm, that's, I mean, it makes it very easy for your husband then too. It's like, hey, we're going to get dinner. And you're like, okay, I'm going to get Mexican. And you'd be like, yeah, let's get Mexican. So. Well, it's, it's his it's his favorite too. So he, he doesn't oh, wow. mind. That's perfect. Well, hey, Stacey, I really do appreciate you joining me today and sharing some of your feedback. I'll make sure that I share some of your information with our guests that are here. Um, if you do want to check out Stacey, make sure to check out the Vet Recruiter. Uh, you can also search it online. Uh, but yeah, th- thanks, thanks for joining me here today, Stacey. My pleasure, Tom. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, you know, if any other resources, if you're looking for them, make sure to check out the description of this podcast. If you've not liked or followed us so far, you can always check out our Facebook page and follow us on there. Or if you listen on Spotify or Apple, we'd always love for you to rate us, give a little love. Uh, And if you found this podcast episode to be helpful in any form or fashion, make sure to share it with one or three different people that you know. Uh, because they might be able to find the same value from it that you did today. So in the meantime, my name is Tom Seco, wishing you a lifetime of financial success. Don't forget to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know about upcoming race-approved CE webinars, podcast releases, short presentations, and articles that we publish. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. C.J. Burnett and Tom Seco are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, and financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. C.J. Burnett's and Tom Seco's California licenses are 0K79676 and 0K80141, respectively. Security products and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, a registered broker-dealer, investment advisor, member of FINRA and the SIPC, and a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Florida Veneer Advisors is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. This podcast is for information purpose only. Only guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Florida Veterinary Advisors, and opinions stated are their own. This material is intended for general use. By providing the content, Park Avenue Securities LLC and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. The individuals associated with Florida Veterinary Advisors do not maintain specialized licenses or qualifications for the financial services provided to veterinary professionals. Florida Veterinary Advisors is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Submission number 2022-145690 expires October of 2024.